What's up, everybody? It's Matt Johnson. We are back with another episode of Real Estate Uncensored. This is the place where you get actionable ideas, insight, and inspiration to turn your real estate career into a life of freedom. And we have a great example of this today. We are talking with a guest today who's broadcasting from the road. He's in an RV. He's a former practicing real estate agent and life coach. And we've got a bunch of stuff to get into with him in a second. But first, the junior grandmaster who is not on the road. You are firmly ensconced in the co-pilot seat where you so belong in your place in San Francisco or the East Bay, whatever. Greg McTain. I am. I am. I am. I am. I'm in my box. I'm drinking my tea from a cat mug, which Matt has made fun of me of, which you are an animal hater and Peter's out to get you. <laughs> Fool. Uh, but it is a, it's, it's a great day. Um, you know, Bill, and we were just kind of talking about kind of way he views real estate. And I, he brought up some incredibly good insights in regards to the, what people should be thinking about. And my 19 years as a veteran of this business, I don't, I don't think I've literally ever had anyone bring up some of the topics he was bringing up. And the more that you think about it, the more this has a profound impact, not just on society, but also your business and the way you can be perceived by other real estate agents and by the general public when you really put them first versus your pocketbook. Mm. But it's not what you guys think. It's really not what you think. So when Bill brings it up, you're just going to be like, huh, should have thought about that one. <laughs> so, so you'll be smarter for this episode. So sit back, relax, put your pens up and take notes. Bill, right. welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I You're welcome. It. You deserve it. <laughs> so Bill, catch us up a little bit uh, and we'll get into the content here in a second, but just give people a sense of your overall career, maybe a, a minute or two on, on your background, kind of how you got to be in the position where you're at now. All right. Well, going way back, I didn't start in real estate. Real estate is a second career. Um, I was a, a marketing consultant. Uh, I've been self-employed since I was 30 and a marketing consultant out of New York, traveling all over the country. I mean, I was leaving Sunday night and getting back Friday night, three nights uh, or three weeks a month. And it was a grueling lifestyle. The money was yeah. great and it was exciting. But, you know, Des Moines is only so exciting so many times and pretty soon just, you know, that kind of life and travel wear off. So I ended up moving to, uh, my wife and I moving to Sacramento and getting into real estate, sold my house by owner in New York, uh, and, you know, which six months and I ended up selling it for what the, the agent I almost hired told me I would sell it for. Uh, and I, I came to the conclusion, you know, this is an interesting business. And, and I was tired of the travel and I was looking for some change. So I ended up becoming a, an agent and ultimately a broker out in the Sacramento area where I've you know, been selling for a lot of years. Um, my wife and I years ago built a house. This was our I don't know, fourth or fifth home that we had owned, but this was going to be our dream home. And it was a big, beautiful house. And, you know, we, I, I learned a lot from that. There were, there were things that we did well and things that we did poorly. And I came to understand both in selling real estate and as it related to me personally, that there's a lot of mistakes that, you know, we, we can make as we chase this, the, the fantasy of this, you know, the dream home, this perfect, mm -hmm. happy home. And, and these are life-changing mistakes. So I started to incorporate what I learned in my own personal experiences. I worked with clients. And now just for the past couple of years, I've ended up living in a, a motor home and traveling around probably about three quarters of the year. I still have some clients locally and I work with local agents to care for them. But I've changed my business now where I'm more about course teaching and coaching and helping people make better decisions when it comes to choosing the right house, choosing a house that's going to be good for their lives. Hmm. So 
When you say choosing a home that's, that's right for their lives, it's similar. You and I use similar verbiage, a little bit different. I tell a lot of my buyer clients because I love buyers. I, most people think I'm crazy, but I really enjoy buyers. It's, it's the hunt, right? Besides, sellers are so freaking pretentious. God, it's like a prissy teenage girl. But, um, you know, I, I really enjoy the fact I tell my clients, buy what you need, not what you want. You know, because a lot of the time, you know, you could afford a $10 million home or a $5 million home that's very realistic on our neck of the woods. But do you really need a $5 million home or would a two and a half service your, your needs just as fine and bank the money or invest the money elsewhere? Because you still got to heat and clean and maintain and everything else because there's a cost of a home and the price of a home. The cost is your ongoing, you know, bills and maintenance. The price of the home is what you pay up front. And people don't think about that. Mm-hmm. Now, are you taking that to a whole nother level when it comes to relationships or is it just purely a monetary stance when you talk to your clients and talk to them about this type of decision? Well, there's a whole lot to unpack in that one question. Um, <laughs> first, your 10 million to 5 million to two and a half million is on a scale that, that you know, <laughs> even the Bay Area. So it's on a scale that a whole lot of people are, are thinking, what is he talking about? But, but it, you know, it's all relative. Uh, but, and, and I too, I've always liked working with buyers and, yes. um, you know, buying a house is harder and more important than selling because mm-hmm. all of the decisions get made there. Where to buy, how much to buy, what to buy, how much should you spend? There's a whole lot of decisions that get made when you buy that you get locked into. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're selling, you're, you're going to sell for as much as you can. So you're going to clean it up and you're going to make some repairs and price it appropriately. And there aren't a lot of decisions, you know, and maybe that explains some of the psychology that I enjoy working with buyers because there is a hunt. There's a problem that's getting solved and a life that's about to get created and oftentimes discovered. I think a lot of people end up making a lot of choices believing it's going to be a certain outcome, you know, and, and then right. end up. So and basically what you're, what you're telling me is the intelligent real estate agents work with buyers because we're crafty. The agents that just exist are listing agents. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. <laughs> that's where the, that's the easy money. That's, that's right. Working <laughs> those with listing yeah. agents. Oh, no those creativity. lazy, those lazy <laughs> listing agents. Oh, oh, just sitting back and letting the money roll in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you though, there's one. agents when you tell them you like working with buyers will we'll usually make a face. Oh yeah. Like, why would you do that? The funny thing is that we just put one into contract with one of my buyers I've been working with for a while and the gratitude that they had, they actually have thanked me multiple times for not just leaving them because they took so long to get into a property. But you build a bond with the people that you work with because you're running around, you're learning their personalities, you see them what they're like, you're traveling through life with them, ups and downs, pregnancies, you know, get a job, lose a job, you know, all these things affect everyone's lives and you become intertwined. It's right. fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and selling, it's an exit. Mm-hmm. You know, you've wrapped it up. It'd be like selling a business. Okay, you're done. Now you move on to something new. Now when they go by, they're going to be faced with all those life decisions. But selling is, I think, um, more clear cut than buying. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what your ideal kind of buyer consultation type of meeting or meetings look like and how agents can put some of your approaches kind of into practice and at a really tactical, practical level. So if you were to meet with a buyer client for the first time, this is someone who's not necessarily, you know, hasn't been in your database. You don't know a lot about them. Uh, Maybe they came in through referral. Let's talk about kind of how you would take that, knowing what you know today, separating out the issue of kind of being on the road. We might want to talk about that later and and how you work with your clients while being on the road, because I'd love to hear more about that. 
well, let's assume that you're rooted in Sacramento, you get a referral to a new buyer client. What does that initial consult look like? It's, it's more gentle than you, you might think. I don't necessarily work uh, immediately with clients as a coach. And I think a lot of clients aren't necessarily ready for the messages that I'm sharing. So I would encourage anyone, if you hear things that make sense, to incorporate them gently into the conversations. I think people will value that you get it and you understand you know, their life that they're trying to create. But I'm not sure at this point how, how ready most clients are to coaching to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, buying a house is a, a, like a financial planning exercise. I, I happen to think it'd be a good idea to talk to a financial planner before buying a house. I can count on one hand the number of clients who have actually talked to a financial planner before buying a house. Yeah. But you're making an enormous financial decision. And, and most people see a lender as the person who tells you what you can afford. So you go to a bank and you you ask the bank, and this is the conversation I think most buyers think they're having, how much can we afford? And the bank will give you a number. But, but it's important to make the distinction. That's not necessarily how much you can afford. How much you can afford is personal. That depends on how you want to live. It depends yeah. on what else you want in your life. Uh, what the bank is telling you is how much maximum they would be willing to lend you and they want to lend you money. They're in the business of lending you money. And if they don't lend you money and if they don't lend you more then they're losing money. So a bank's uh, lending guidelines has more to do with their profit than your happiness. So helping people understand that this is a life planning exercise, the buying of a house because of, for instance, how people allocate money I think is, a, is an important first step in that budget that you're signing up for is going to affect your life in ways you never imagined. So if you borrow all the bank says, which I've done before, yeah. you're going to find yourself with a lifestyle that you may not have seen coming. It's, it's not as though, and I think a lot of people when they're buying a house, they, they, they think their life will continue as it has based, you know, when they buy this new house, that the bank is telling them what they can afford and that somehow these two numbers equate Mm -hmm. and they don't. I think people learn their new lifestyle, financially speaking, uh, usually about three months into a new house. Interesting. So the whole cost of the property, what your lifestyle looks like. So if you go from a one bedroom condo to a four bedroom house, your life is going to shift. There are going to be a lot of different requirements on you, both financially and just personal time maintaining the property. I had a, I bought a million, one million fifty thousand dollar home when I was twenty six years old. I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> now, what was the what was the dollar amount on that again? One million fifty thousand dollars. Remember that very boy. clearly. Because I bought it for one million fifty, and I sold it for one million and fifty thousand. Exactly. I only, I, and I got to write off all my carrying costs. But the thing is, is that I didn't own that house. That house owned me. I mean, I remember every weekend I was redoing the pool, doing some sort of landscaping, ripping out old shrubbery, raking something, doing God knows what, painting something. It's like bye-bye free time in life. Hello, slavery and indentured servitude. <laughs> that property, which then I have to pay to maintain, to keep doing stuff around. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the millennials, uh, I think, uh, might be shifting their thought pattern on this. In, Cal- in, in the Bay Area, a lot of talk is about the impending uh, IPOs. I mean, Lyft just went IPO last week or the week before. They're talking about Uber, Postmates, and a bunch of others. So they're, they're saying anywhere from four to 10,000 people are going to be, bam, millionaires. 
literally overnight, tens of millions, hundreds of millions or billion dollars of income to these people who start these companies. And mm. it's a contested debate. Are they going to blow all their money on big, huge, expensive houses, pushing up the medium of the pricing? Some people are saying the medium price here in the Bay Area will go to $5 million, which I think they're fucking nuts. If they do that, Lord. cash out, we're gone. I, I, I do see it going up like two, two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Florida. Goodbye, crew. Yeah, so Greg's out. <laughs> oh, God. I would punch the button and hit the eject button. <laughs> I'm out, players. Yeah, but, but uh, I, yeah, I, I would have to agree. I'm, I'm definitely in that crowd. And just go travel and yeah. bank it and go invest it and go do micro loans and you know start additional companies. I mean, where's that money gonna go? Where's the mindset of the new buyer and seller? Is it still the big house or is it the RV on the road with freedom? Mm-hmm. I mean, I want a land yacht. Hashtag RV life. I mean, come on, dude, that sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you deal with circumstances that are so outside of the realm of <laughs> <laughs> reality. <laughs> okay why well, I, I am jaded because i did oh, good life. i i did go down the rabbit hole yesterday i was my girlfriend and i were napping on the couch while she was napping and snoring on me and drooling i was actually playing on redfin but i decided to say okay i'm gonna look for houses in, in, the, in san francisco from two and a half to six million so my mind's a little jaded this morning because i'm still in that realm. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i i made the same mistake that greg did except i did it with a hundred and thirty thousand dollar house in <laughs> nebraska which by the way is was a nice three bed two bath two car garage it was a nice house for you know a do du- two dudes in their mid-20s in real estate uh, but yeah it was the exact it was this it was still the same mistake though like every time i was out there mowing that lawn i was resenting that house a lot of younger people out there who have that same mentality and and they've either watched other people do it enough or they're like me and they've done it once and they're like well i'm not doing that again not making that mistake again so i do think things are shifting um but i wish that someone had sat me down and had that conversation and mm-hmm. given me a, a peek into what the lifestyle is like because bill you're right it really didn't like it takes a couple of months to get over that new lifestyle emotional bump. It's like your honeymoon period, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that new car smell wears off. Mm-hmm. You know, the excitement of buying this house, you know, and, and the behaviors that occur while you're in that searching mode will pass and all the fantasies. I think when people are out in house shopping mode, they're um, seeing properties. They'll go look at houses and they're fantasizing the life they think they're going to have mm-hmm. in that house. And so, you know, you're picturing uh, holiday dinners with your family or, or barbecuing in that backyard with friends. And you can imagine this really happy life where I think we can help people is stepping them back and disconnecting the house with the home. And a house is what you can buy. A house is a box. And you may fall in love with it when you move in, but when you move out, chances are you're going to forget about it. It's not going to be a big part of your life. So you weren't really in love. It, it, was, it was just nice. What people fall in love with is this idea of the happy life that they're going to live there. But, you know, that can be a fantasy. And decisions we make when we're buying houses can undermine the fantasy. So mm-hmm. borrowing too much is, I think, one of the biggest mistakes. Getting or moving too far and ending up with too much time being consumed because you're commuting. You've got some long commute because you wanted a big house in the suburbs, but you place demands on your life that now impact your ability to, you know, have the barbecue in the backyard with friends. You're just tired Mm -hmm. or you're strained for money. You're stressed because you're spending at the top of your, you know, allowable income level to get that house. So we make decisions in pursuit of this fantasy that oftentimes undermine it. So Stepping back, and Greg, your thought on the time, that's a huge thing. 
So when people are buying a house, one of the first things you really need to get clear on is one, making the distinction between a house, which is a box, which candidly could be a boat or an RV or an apartment or a condo, but it's the physical structure and then the home that you're going to create. And that is up for people to create. And if they're not happy where they're at now, if they, you know, if their marriage isn't going well, if they're stressed for money, if life is hard, buying a new house isn't necessarily going to fix that. In fact, in all likelihood, it'll compound those problems. So one of the keys to a happy home has nothing to do with the house. It has to do with understanding what makes a happy home. What is the life that you want to live in putting those priorities in order? So is your marriage important? You know, no, when people are buying houses, they don't talk about their marriage, but you know, half of marriages end in divorce. And three, was it 78% of uh, working Americans live paycheck to paycheck? Mm. Well, those are, those are staggering statistics. I mean, those are really awful. And, and those aren't just poor people that are living paycheck to paycheck. There's a lot mm. of people in million dollar homes living paycheck to paycheck, you know, until the IPO comes out and then they're multimillionaires. But, but for <laughs> a lot right. of people, we're all just biding people, our time here. <laughs> got the one that went public. I, exactly. I, I picked the wrong ones. But, but it's, it's aligning the values, the, the way that you want to live first. It's knowing what matters to you. And if your marriage matters, if it really matters, you know, tile and granite are so inconsequential in mm-hmm. contrast to that. But, but that, those aren't the conversations that I find people have when they're buying a house. They, mm-hmm. Of course, our marriage is important. Of course, saving for retirement is important and investing some money and finding time to you know, enjoy life now with our family. You know, a lot of people live in McMansions and they take the kids and camp in the backyard because they got no money to go someplace with their kids. Mm-hmm. They, they're spent. You know, they two of the rooms still don't have furniture. So there are a lot of people that get themselves in very deep financially and then discover a lifestyle. And, and I guess what I'm proposing is flip that all around. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what that happy home is going to look like. Draw it, you know, create it uh, with your family and in particular with a partner. Decide what a happy home means to you and then work your way into it. And then uh, just a, a, another thought, Greg, that you were getting into, which was uh, time. Time and money are the resources that we have to work with. I mean, time is the real currency of life, and we can sell time to go make money so that we have money to do the things that we want. But a, a house, the decision on a house is going to consume time and money. And these are the two most precious, valuable, limited resources that everyone has. And you want to apply those resources to the things that matter most. And I would argue that may not be a house. That's probably your marriage. That's probably saving for retirement. That's probably having some adventure. That might be a smaller house closer to work Mm -hmm. without so much emphasis on the biggest, prettiest house the bank says you can buy. Get something that leaves you a life, you know, that you want to live in those other areas that you value, which is probably for, you know, most people I would think if they're married, it's going to be a partner. Uh, their family, if they want to have kids, uh, travel, adventure. There's so many great things in life that um, having built an extraordinary and expensive home myself, only to find that it kind of just became normal. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't as though I was. I shocked myself every morning when I got up <laughs> with the with the splendor of this house. It was, you know, <laughs> off to work. You know, 
And, uh, I was having this conversation the other day as I was sitting in, there's a particular light in the beach town that I live in that is a little longer than I would prefer. <laughs> and I just about caught myself. I'm like, I'm complaining that I'm not getting across the beach town that I live in fast enough. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, for someone, for someone like me from the Midwest who literally used to live on a non-active farm at one point in my life, uh, it's amazing how quickly our thermostat resets and whatever we stretched to buy becomes our normal. And then we go right back to whatever level of happiness we were at three or six months before. So I love that focus on making, making sure that you at least ask the questions. You mentioned being a facilitator. It's not necessarily about life coaching them yourself, especially if they don't give you that permission, but at least encouraging them like, hey, let's, have you thought about these sorts of things? Have you talked to a couple of these other specialists in this area? Have you talked to a financial planner? You know, have you talked to, you know, other folks about how this can affect other areas of your life and just see how, like, get them to start having that conversation. If they want to have it with you, if you have the life coaching skills to help lead some of that, awesome. Uh, if you're not, I mean, Greg, doesn't sound like you're the type of person that necessarily wants to have those conversations. You want them to think about it holistically. You don't want to coach them through that process. You would be the type of person that would ask the questions. And then if there's some things that come up in that process, you would go, great. It sounds like you need to have a conversation with this person or this person. Why are you going to say I, I wouldn't be that, you jerk off? You well, saying because I don't have you, a soul? you don't have quite, I like, it's not that you don't have a soul, although it's funny that it's turned around a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's that like you, you've spent your life around your dad who very much is that person. Like your dad is a natural life coaching real estate agent. Yeah. I feel like you're not quite, like you have some of the same characteristics and have learned a lot of the same verbiage, but you don't necessarily want to go that far down the rabbit hole with people. Um, I will to an extent. Um, I won't talk to them about their private, their, their marriage and kind of how it's going to impact their marriage, but I will ask them, what is the reason that you're looking to buy this? Like, why are we on this hunt together? And kind of pulling that a little bit out of them. Cause it does two things. One, it <clears throat> helps me understand the psyche of the individual or individuals buying the property. And it helps me then be able to accurately find the property for them, but also give them advice. Uh, I've told people flat out, I will not represent their interests if they're going to buy a certain type of a home because it's not in their best interest. And I'll just walk away and be done with the deal. And I'll let someone else go down that rabbit hole. Um, and people were astonished when I said, good luck. I'm not me, neither me or my team will represent you on the basis of that property. And they get just blown away, but they know that I have their best interest. So no, I don't go down the marriage and the financial side. Although I do think that that would be an interesting topic to, and discussion to have with them. Bill, in your experience, what have you seen when it comes to buyers pushing back a little bit or being offended that you would question their uh, wants and potential needs in life? Have they been like, well, who the hell are you and why do you care? Just buy me a fucking house. You know, just show up, door, you know, porch monkey and get open the door. <laughs> porch monkey. <laughs> porch monkey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You know, that um, I don't know that I do ask people about their marriage or take it to that degree that I'm proposing. I have gotten into more personal conversations and talking about priorities, and I will ask questions to promote some thinking on it. But um, no, and I guess I'm not suggesting that a real estate agent should become a life coach. Although learning some of this language, I mean, understanding that it's going to affect your life in broader context. I think is valuable. And I think buyers would appreciate the fact that you get yeah. it, that this is a life yeah. choice for them and encouraging them to take some time to think it through, to talk to a financial planner and so on. So I've had, and this is what I mentioned earlier about gently, for the most part, I don't think people expect or want their agent to get into that kind of detail. 
but being mindful of it and aware and sensitive to the fact that that is going to affect their lives. And that's, that's why I'm working on the course material that I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking to financial planners and I'm interviewing them and I'm saying, walk me through the process. What would you do with the client? A lot of clients don't talk to a financial planner or mm-hmm. if you suggested they should, they think about it and say, that's probably a good idea, but you know, let's go look at some houses this afternoon. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. and, and <laughs> so it's, we can't necessarily save people from themselves uh, and they don't necessarily know how much, you know, a financial planner is going to cost. So what I want to do is create course material where I've got a, you know, half a dozen financial planners that I can interview and record on, okay, you've got young family in this situation. What would you recommend? What would the process be that you walk them through? Hmm. So that somebody who's thinking about buying a house, you'd be able to, you know, an agent could say, you should listen to these interviews with financial planners on money or this interview with a couple of marriage counselors on the relationship between house buying decision, uh, budgeting of time and money and your marriage and getting experts. So, you know, positioning, seeing myself more as a facilitator, And I think this would be true of any agent or broker, you know, being a facilitator sensitive to the importance of these conversations, but then, you know, suggesting they go make contact or at least listen to some interviews that are framed this way, that are how to make a sensible house purchase that aligns with the things that you value in your life. And, and so you're not going in there and talking about their marriage. You're simply saying it's going to have some impact, you know, because of how you use time and money. You know, in, in my house, my wife worked from home. You know, we were in real estate and I was going out driving. And this was my mistake is, you know, I wanted to live up in the foothills. Well, I was traveling an hour to go meet clients, you know, mm, each way. Yeah. I, that's going to wear you down after a while. And, yeah. and so, and I just had this, hey, we're going to do it. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to provide for my family. And I, I got, you know, just the big idea to plow forward. And it was bad for us. It was bad for the marriage. It, it just, it was a draining lifestyle. And these are easy decisions to make when you're swept up in, you know, the, the fantasy of creating or buying your, your dream home. Yeah. It, you know, I think well, my mind's kind of moving here because I did a seller's seminar a month or so ago and I'm doing a buyer's seminar, which are, you I mean, these seminars are phenomenal. So many people have so many questions, but at the seller sem- the buyer seminar we're going to have on the 26th of this month, I want to make sure that we have a financial planner on hand to get up and talk a little bit about the ramifications of the purchase of a property, you know, see if you can get some clients because even if no one takes you up on speaking with a financial planner, it's the pure ask of going, hey, have you thought about the ramifications and consequences of the purchase? You put X, Y, and Z dollars in the bank. That's a very big comfort zone for you now. When that money comes out, you're going to feel vulnerable. If a life turns on you, are you going to have the capital to keep living the lifestyle that you currently live? Or are you putting all of your eggs into this basket? You know, where are we? Is this the right time for you to buy? Is this the right time for you to sell? Have you scrolled away money for investments? Have you scrolled away money for a rainy day? Oh, you haven't? Oh, you're putting all of your money into this home? You are a complete retard. Don't <laughs> buy this house. You know, don't do this. You, if you something shifts a half a percent, you mm. run the risk of losing everything in your life. Is that what you want? Mm. And when people look at that, they're like, I don't want that. 
They're like, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's my point. Now, most agents would be like, why would you ever advise someone away from doing their transaction? Right. Because you have to recommend and, and keep in mind, and Bill, I know you're 100% on board with this with me. It's not about you. It's about them. You are the agent right. that is going to facilitate a life shift for them. Now, you can be the, you know, the, the demon or you can be the angel. Which one are you going to be when they yeah. look back in history? Yeah. Are you going to be the blood-sucking real estate agent or the benevolent human being who got down and said, look, man, look, between you and me, bad move, homie. Like, stay put. Rent that place. That's a lot. You know, for you to know that much information is probably more than most agents get to in their conversations. A lot of, you know, in working with clients, most agents simply defer to the bank to have the financial conversations, mm -hmm. which yeah. is inadequate. For you to know that much to have that strong of an opinion means you know a lot about that client. And, and, but that's not all clients. Not, not all clients are going to let you, you know, in that close, which is, which is why um, I think if, if we can, and I'm, I'm hopeful the, you know, the, these interviews with financial planners is going to be that interim where somebody can, you know, on their drive to work, be coming up to speed on exactly those questions you're just asking, which is if you put all your money here, you're going to live a stressed lifestyle because you've got yeah. no room for error and life is full of errors. There are going to be hardships that you're going to face and now you're not prepared for it. And you just put yourself in that position. That's essentially what I had done. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and I know better, you know, and, you know, I was new to real estate, but I, I wasn't new to money and, and I knew better, but I still did it. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. very easy when your focus is a house for buyers, it's house, house, house. They're thinking, you know, granite, we want tile. Gosh, the rooms are kind of small. They're not thinking about, gosh, do I want to take a nice vacation every other year? What are you going to do with the kids? Are we saving for college? A house buyer in house buyer mode is not thinking about their life in a broader context. Mm -hmm. And they need to be drawn back to that. And I think the agent, I think as a facilitator, agents can be bringing people back to life. Let's make this fit. Let's find balance in your life mm -hmm. where this choice aligns with all the things that are really important to you. And helping them through that process is, is really, I guess, what I'm trying to create right now is a method where agents can facilitate without imposing, without, mm -hmm. um, you know, being as strong as you were just then, Greg, and in, in your advice, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but just a little to, to facilitate responsibly. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I think that, Matt, you would agree with me on this is that a lot of agents, you know, they operate, uh, this is a job, not a career, because if they step out of it, they don't make any money. Most agents, yours truly and everybody else has done that or is doing that right now. And I think that people are so afraid to ask these questions to a buyer or to a seller because they're afraid of offending them. When in reality, how much more professional would you come across if you said, Bill, oh, Matt, Julie and your three uh, fictitious wood denting, insulin sucking little troll babies. I haven't used them in a long time. They kind of went by the wayside. I'm glad they're back. Um, here's a questionnaire. You can hand them a three or four page questionnaire of what you're looking for. You know, help me understand your buying mindset. And you can Google buyer questionnaires. They're all over the web. You can go download, pick which one works well for you. But really kind of get into their head. And the reason why I'm saying this is two things. One, you're going to really understand what's going on. And two, you're going to eliminate tire kickers and waste of time. Because if they aren't going to fill out that document and really get granular on what they're looking for and why they're doing this, then they're going to waste your time. They're going to drive them all over the place. And then Aunt Sue, who did real estate in 76, is going to say, hey, this isn't a good time to buy. They're going to listen to her because she makes a great meatloaf. And then you're out. Okay? 
<laughs> and and Sue with that meatloaf. Ah, it oh, always good. gets you with the meatloaf, man. She always gets you. Mom, uh, meatloaf. That's right. Oh man. Okay. Well, we we could go all day on this, but I want to make sure that people get kind of connected up. So, Bill, this is the the course that you're creating is not just for the home buyer to purchase, right? This is something that you envision the agents kind of supplying their buyer clients. You know, I I'm I don't know. Uh, I could see this being something that agents could use with their clients that allows them to have these conversations in a gentle, responsible way and let them take it further in a non-threatening way, listening Mm -hmm. to financial planners talk about these issues relating to retirement or what have you, or marriage counselors or all of these things. And without having to be you know, delving deeper than I think most people Mm -hmm. are willing to to let a, a realtor go. I, yeah. I, you know, so it's, it's being responsible, giving them access to this kind of information without saying, Hey, you ought to go talk to a financial planner, um, <laughs> or a marriage counselor. Know, so it's accessible from home. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Or a marriage counselor. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah, a that's lot. A, yeah. And yet I think there's some really great content there. You know, when, mm-hmm. when half of marriages end in divorce, we're doing something wrong. And yeah. if we're stretching too far on houses or making some poor decisions on how we allocate money and time, I believe without doubt that it affects marriages in a profound way. Mm-hmm. And I want to get marriage counselors helping to break that down as to why and how that can be helped, how we can communicate better so that everyone's getting something more. You know, and the, the dynamics when you work with, when agents work with couples, you can see things going on. You can see yeah. one person perhaps is driving it. Well, you know what? That other person may harbor a little resentment years mm-hmm. later. So sure. you want to find, you know, help somebody get a house that everyone feels like they got and gave a little as opposed to somebody steamrolled the other one. I mean, those kind of things happen in agents. Yeah. You know, who wants to get in the middle of that, you know, yeah. as a realtor? You would lose a client if you tried. On the other hand, you can probably point them in a direction that talks about communicating your needs that might help solve that problem. Yeah. But as an agent, that's, that's a lot to, to try and do. Well, what's, uh, so what's the best way for, for agents to get connected up with you? And especially if they have referrals for the, the Sacramento area, how do they get in contact? That'd be great. Uh, my website is charterhome, charter-home.com. And hopefully we can get a, for just put a link below the, the podcast. And I've got a blog where I get into a lot of these issues, you know, the less real estate side of home ownership called survivingtheamericandream.org. And, <laughs> and I talk about sort of the challenges and, and uh, things that, that happen that we take for granted perhaps when buying a house and buying real estate. Love them. Survivingtheamericandream.org. Yeah. And it's got Bill's phone number right at the top there. So that's another great place to go. Um, yeah. We'll have to bring you back and talk a little bit about the the RV lifestyle, still continuing to do a little bit of real estate here and there. You mentioned that you're able to kind of work through mm-hmm. local agents and still serve clients. I'm assuming people that are in kind of your database that are already familiar with you, but I right. know that that's one, one option for a life of freedom is to be able to travel a good chunk of the time, but still serve your clients and still be a locally based business. So I think that'd be a fun episode to do. But Bill, this has been a lot of fun. I'm really excited that Angela introduced you and, and connected you to us because I think this is definitely something that like Greg, Greg, you've alluded to it. We've done some work on different phrasing and different questions you can ask, but Bill, this is way deeper than we've gone before on just how to deliver really amazing, holistic service to clients. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Really good content. Good. I yeah. hope people actually- Thanks for having me. 
I hope people actually think about this and don't just passively listen to this conversation we just had. I hope they really take it to heart and really start putting it into their business because they'll be able to transform their own self-worth in their own eyes because if they can look into it and say, hey, look, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, I am here to guide you. You are sick. I am the doctor. I will cure you of this disease called mediocrity, which is what everyone else is serving up, okay? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a really, <laughs> that's a big thought because it's very easy you know, when someone wants to buy a house, they're going to buy a house. And as long as you don't mess that up, and this is how I think a lot of agents end up getting clients. You get in front of somebody who wants to buy a house and you just show them everything that they want to see mm -hmm. and let them buy what they want. And that's, you know, that's an effective model for selling real estate. So go find people who want to buy a house and just don't mess it up. On the <laughs> other hand, and this is where this gets hard, is these are hard questions. You're trying to help somebody go to a different level. And I don't think you can push people there. Mm -hmm. um, I think you want to let people know that you're prepared to go there or to help them consider things they might not have considered so that there's just a little more balance, just a mm -hmm. little more balance. You know, people get house crazy and, oh, and they yeah. spend all the bank will lend them and they end up not necessarily happy for it. So if we could just dial that back off 11 and as agents help people find a little better balance in their lives, I think you will find greater loyalty because that is not what people expect yeah. from a real estate agent. You know, I have a base of clients that like and value what I've done for years because I, I took that interest, Greg, I took that interest yeah. in their lives mm -hmm. and wanted to make a contribution, you know, for this to be a positive thing. And they knew that and they believed that and they could tell when someone is just genuine and trying to help as opposed to somebody that's just trying to sell a house. And those are people that clients will keep around and refer and use over and over again. You know, uh, we'll tell this story. I've told this story many, many times. I'll tell it one more time. Uh, 25 plus years ago, my dad, there's a, there's a family that uh, they were thinking about selling their house. My dad, they had, I think, I think they have two daughters and a son. If I remember, I think cause I grew up with the kids. I should remember them. Right. But they were my age. So we were in junior high or maybe just stepping into high school or something like that. But he's like, Hey, this is not the time for you to sell. Stay put, keep them in the schools. Just enjoy the life here. Don't uproot them because blah, blah, blah. Give a bunch of reasons. 20 some odd years later, they picked up the phone and go, hey, Terry, it's time for us to sell. Now, they've had hundreds if not thousands of interactions with other real estate agents, other mailers, other calls, whatever, emails, the whole nine yards, but they chose to call him 20 some years afterwards because of the advice that bettered them, not himself at that point. Um, we, they, my dad and uh, the client and I were all sitting there talking and this other real estate agent actually came up in the conversation goes, and he wasn't kidding. He was not, this other agent was not kidding when he goes, he's like, Hey, why are you, why are you, he said this right in front of us. Hey, why are you working with the McDaniel Callahan team? Come over and work with me. I'll cut your commission. And the, the client looks at us, looks at him and goes, nah, man, I'm going to work with him. That's cool. Our client walked away with $850,000 net cash in their pocket from that decision. And they went and bought two houses in Texas, one on the lake full of, literally full, filled with snakes and an alligator. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, Greg, your stories all have a little funny twist somewhere in them. 
<laughs> usually the usually the dollar amounts, but sometimes reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the lake with snakes. Oh, Why would you do that? Oh, you have to man. check your shoes before you put them on so you don't have a snake in your shoes. <laughs> Bad poor life decision. All right. Well, let's let's wrap it up. Um, we'll have to get Bill back on the show. Greg, how do people connect with you quickly? With love and kindness and grace and you besides know, that peace. And peace. <laughs> Namaste. Oh, go go ahead and go to bookmcdaniel.com. Let's talk about exp guys. Bookmcdaniel.com. Matt and I are building a tribe of absolute amazing human beings. If you guys are looking to make more money, still sell real estate please reach out to me. It's 30 minutes on your calendar. If you don't like it, I will give you Matt's phone number and you can send him hate mail. But if you love it, you can join our EXP team. So bookmcdaniel.com. That's how you get a hold of us. Matt, where do they rate us? Go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Give us a five star. And then if you enjoyed a guest episode like Bill's episode today, make sure to give him a shout out in the review. All right, Greg. Shall we put a nice bow upon this episode? Let's call it a navy blue bow. We'll wrap it tight right around this episode and uh, let's call it good. We'll just strangle this thing. Um, you sicko. Uh, guys, think, okay, we got a nice pretty blue bow on this thing. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for supporting us. Thanks for hopefully digesting what Bill has been saying to you because it's really valuable information. Um, you know, share this thing out to somebody. Can't do this without you. So Matt and I truly do love you. We appreciate you. And until next time, peace out, ninjas. We're gone.